0: in apex north carolina stay tuned at the end of the program we will give you information on how to contact us so be sure to have a pen and paper ready today pastor rodney will be teaching from the book of acts chapter 17 so grab your bibles and follow along now with today's teaching here's pastor rodney
1: that's what we do here at calvary chapel Our services are designed so that we study the Word. And I can't tell you how many people have come to the church and they've been here two, three, four months and have come up to me after service and said, Pastor Ronnie, I learned more in four months than I learned in 40 years. Can I get a witness? I learned more. I'm going to tell you something. The first time I walked in Calvary Chapel, I learned more in one service than I had learned in five years of being a Christian. I couldn't believe it. I said, you mean people actually read the Bible? I didn't know. Sometimes we carried it. But I mean, actually crack that thing and read it. Well, I'd not like, well, maybe not, because it's all spirit. I didn't know. Our faith is a reasonable faith. It makes sense to be a Christian. Present your body, Romans 12, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Amen. Now, this thing called Christianity is reasonable. It's just smart to be a Christian. Amen. Somebody should clap Amen. their hands. Would you do that? It's smart. It's not all, oh, well, it's all spirit. It's all just a leap of faith. Listen, there's something very intelligent. It's intelligent. Hey, we've already read it. You can hear something intelligent for you. We can look in the Bible and its locations we can still find on the map today. I've been to Israel five times. And I'm just amazed at how many things the Bible speaks of. That That's why going to Israel is an education. Because how many things that the word speaks of, and you go there and you go, oh yeah, that's, 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 that's there in Judges. And oh yeah, this is where Jesus walked. And oh yeah, this is the Via Rosa, And there's, there's, there's Golgotha. And there's the Garden Tomb. All of these things can still be found. This is a very reasonable thing for us Christian folks. Amen. It's intelligent. It's wonderful. But some of the cults, <laughs> it's just not reasonable. Amen. Love, you mean it? It's not reasonable. Some of the locations in some of these Bibles and cult Bibles, they're not found. Where are these places? The Christian faith is a reasonable thing. And saints, listen, when you are sharing your faith or reasoning with people, reason from the Scriptures. Even if, watch this, even if they don't believe the scriptures. Yeah. You know, so often Satan will tell us, you know what, they don't believe in the Bible anyway. So, I mean, you know what, don't even talk to them because they don't even believe the Bible. They don't believe in the scripture. It's kind of like circular reasoning. I mean, you got to start from this thing of reading the Bible. Understand? understand, believing the Bible is the Bible before you can actually tell people that they're doing something wrong or a sin or God loves them because the Bible says so. But they don't believe in the Bible, so let's just not even use the Bible. That's a lie from Satan. Amen. Listen. I don't care if you believe God's word or not. God's word is true. Let God be true and every man, uh, that's the word. And listen, when you reason from the scriptures, even when people don't believe the scriptures, the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. God's word is living. Therefore, even if they don't believe the word, you use the word and watch the living word go to work on their hearts. Amen. How do you think you got saved? say? Amen. That's how I got say. The brother, I didn't believe the Bible. And the brother began to share with me the word. And he began to share the things of God. We use the word of God. Because God's word is powerful. Yeah. And God's word is living. So share reason from the scripture. That's what we find in Paul's preaching style. Point number two, talking about Paul's preaching style. Notice he was opening or explaining. Look at verse three. In the New King James, it says explaining. In the New King Jimmy, it says opening, opening, opening. You know, there are two other times in the New Testament that this word open is used spiritually speaking. The one time we just looked at it a couple weeks ago, it's in Acts chapter 16. The Bible says the Lord opened Lydia's heart. There's another time in the Gospels in Luke chapter 24, as Jesus, you know, the story is on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. And it says that Jesus opened to them the scriptures. In other words, Jesus had taken them on an accelerated study from Genesis to Malachi, showing how it was prophesied. That the Messiah would suffer and die for the sins of the world. And when Jesus, the Bible says in Luke 24, opened the word to them, their hearts burned within them. I love that. I love that. Love that. Love that. Love that. Amen. You ever read the Bible and your heart burns within you? Because the word is powerful. The word is alive. And Jesus took them to a Bible study. Can you imagine having the Bible study with Jesus? No. And that's a Bible study, (laughs) y'all. You're going to learn something. And he opened the scriptures. And their hearts burned within them. And Paul did the same thing in Thessalonica. He opened and explained the scriptures. Now, saints, listen. When you're sharing your faith and you're opening the scriptures and you're sharing your faith with people, please do not use Christian ease. (laughs) This is not a good thing. You know... Christian folks, we got our own language. I mean, we just use Christian ease and we all know what we're talking about because we're in the same circle. You know, we talk about being fired up for Jesus. We all understand being fired up for Jesus. But if you're talking to a non believer and you tell them, you say, you know what, look, look, listen, you need to be on fire for God. You talk to a non believer, he's like, on fire? What do you mean on fire? I don't want to be burnt up. What does that mean? What's this Christian? Oh, you start talking about, you know, you need to be covered in the blood. He's <laughs> like, no! I don't want to be covered in blood. That's gross. See, non Christians, they don't understand all this Christian ease stuff. Listen, make it simple, talk plain, explain open the scriptures, keep it simple and basic where they can get it. You know, my pastor told me one time, I'll never forget this. He said, Rodney, when you're preaching the word, put the cookies on the shelf where the kids can get them. Oh, you understand that? Say man, That means bring it down. Okay, we get the Christian, folk. we get talking about, oh, we were saved, sanctified, feeling the thrill with the precious <laughs> Holy Ghost and that with fire. <laughs> like, what? what? What was that? Speaking in tongues. What is that? No, don't use Christianity. Explain it. Tell them what it means. Jesus was like that. He was God. And if there was anybody who could wax theological, it would have been Christ. But he didn't. He said, Nick, who came to him at night. Nick. (laughs) Sorry. (sighs) Can't help it, man. Give me. Nick. Thank you, sister. And, uh. Nick came to Jesus. Jesus said, Nick, marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. Nick scratching his head, I can't figure this out. I'm an attorney. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a leader. I can't figure this out. He's standing there scratching his head. And Jesus said, Nick, don't try to figure it out. The wind comes from where it comes from and goes where it goes. You don't know about that either. Don't try to figure this out. Understand something. Nick, it's by the Spirit. Real simple, bring it down, open, share, explain, take the time to explain. Talk about Paul's preaching style. Notice again in verse three, notice it says he was demonstrating or in the King Jimmy, it says alleging, alleging that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ saints. I'm going to tell you quick. The central message, and you've been around here at Calvary, you know this. The central message of the gospel is not solely Jesus Christ. That is not the end of the message. A man named Jesus. Listen, the central message and the end of the gospel is that a man named Jesus rose again on the third day. Amen. As you study the Bible, take careful note, Bible students. As you study the Bible, you find that the apostles and the disciples they preached the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and they also included every single time that it is this Jesus who rose again from the dead. This is the very thing that separates Jesus from all the other world religions, and world leaders is the fact that this Jesus rose from the grave and they can't find him. And that's what the Resurrection Sunday is all about. They can't find the man. He rose from the grave. It's not just Jesus. Listen, you don't need to be a believer and you, you, you don't need to be a Christian nor believe the Bible to understand that there was a man named Jesus. History reports this, that there was a man named Jesus who walked on the earth, who spent 33 and a half years on the earth, who died on the cross. He claimed that he was the Messiah. He claimed that his blood was shed for the sins of the world. There was a man that's a historical fact. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that. But the difference between this Jesus, see, in Jesus' day, when Jesus was walking on the earth, the name Jesus was actually a very common name. Wow. Did you know that? There was a, it was a common name. Jesus is a common name. You know, like today, we got, you know, John and, and Mike, and, you know, Shaquan. I mean, <laughs> common Shaniqua a common name. (laughs) Jesus was a common name in those days. And lots of folks named Jesus. But the thing that separates Jesus and why his name is above every other name, every other name of Jesus is because it's at the name of this Jesus who rose from the grave that every knee shall bow and what? Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God. That's what separates him from all the other Jesus And so the gospel, as we're sharing the gospel, let's be mindful to include this whole aspect of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. This is the message that Paul preached. Notice what happens next. Acts 17, look at verse 5. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Amen. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob. And they went down to the Food line. <laughs> Got a bunch of thugs hanging out. It set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when in verse 6 they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, Here's the accusation, these who have turned the world, what saints? Upside down have come here too. Well, Jason has harbored them. They said, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus, of course. And they traveled. Pardon me. They troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And so, when they had taken security or money or like a bail bond, I don't know something, taken security from from Jason. And the rest, they let them go. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. You look in verse 4, 5, some of the Jews were persuaded. The great multitude of Greeks believed, joined Paul and Silas. And there was a bunch who didn't believe. And you, note, you want to notice in verse 5 that they had become envious. Did you see that? They were envious. Isn't that interesting? They weren't concerned with heresy. They weren't concerned with deception. They were just jealous that Paul came into town and the more and he had more success than they did. And so they they weren't concerned with whether they were preaching heresy or not. They were just jealous of Paul, because Paul was preaching the gospel and people were getting saved. And so they go to the marketplace and they get a mob together and they get the city all worked up and they went to the house of jason where paul was staying but they found out that paul and silas weren't there and they grabbed jason and some of the other brothers they took them to the council and here's the accusation these men have turned the city upside down listen saints would to god listen give me your attention would to god that be an accusation for our church somebody drag us down to the mayor Man, at Calvary Chapel Church, they are turning the city upside down for Jesus. Amen. I'm like, guilty as charged. Would to God that all the Christians in any church would gather together and begin to preach the gospel. And that accusation be made, that they have turned the world upside down. Here, the, the reality is this. Listen, the world's upside down. If Christians go and turn the world upside down, Upside down, we would really be turning the world right side up. Amen, Amen, saints, you understand? Turning the world right side up. Because the world, have you noticed this here, it's getting crazier and crazier in the world. And watching the news is depressing. And it's getting more crazy and more crazy. And people are taking truth and they're twisting it. People are taking truth and turning it. You know, Isaiah talks about the people taking truth and and, and they're, they're calling evil good and good evil. They're calling, they're calling sweet bitter and sweet. They're calling light darkness and darkness light. They're saying in our culture today that there are no absolutes. Mm-hmm. People say there are no absolutes, which I always ask them, are you absolutely sure?
0: <laughs>
1: things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> oh, there are no absolutes. You can't be absolute about anything. Listen, we can be absolute about a lot of things. We can certainly be absolute about the truth of God's word. And there is this thing called truth. A thing called truth. The truth of God's word. God's word does not teach the world is going down a path of situational ethics. Have you heard about that? Situational ethics simply means they're teaching this in college campuses today. Situational ethics speak to the fact that whatever your situation is, whatever ethical thing you choose to do is the right thing to do. This is what they're teaching on our college campuses today. This is a true story. Let me read it to you. It's in the medical ethics class, true, at UCLA. Listen close. Some years ago, asked the students a question. Here's the question. How would you advise this patient concerning pregnancy and the possibility of abortion? Here's the situation. The father has syphilis. The mother has tuberculosis. The first child was born blind. And the second child died at childbirth. The third child is born deaf, deaf. The fourth child contracted tuberculosis and is presently suffering. And now the mom is pregnant again. The question is, what would you do? Listen, at this, this is alarming. 70% of the students said that they should abort the baby. And the professor informed the class, you have just aborted Beethoven. Isn't that amazing? Situational ethics, whatever you think is right in the situation, that's what you should do. We are living in a declining nation, saints. We are living in a declining nation. Listen to one historian who said this. He said, the average age of the world's great civilizations is a duration of 200 years each. Almost without exception, each civilization passed through the same sequence. Here's the sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From great courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to leisure. From leisure to selfishness. From selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. From apathy to dependency. From dependence to weakness. And from weakness back to bondage. That's the sequence of most civilizations 200 years. Our country... 250 years old. Where do you think we are in that sequence? I think somewhere probably around complacency, apathy, dependency, weakness. And we're headed back to bondage. The early church, they weren't into situational ethics. The early church was not into twisting truth. The early church was an empowered church. You read the first 16 chapters, how did they turn the world upside down? You read the first 16 chapters of the book of Acts, and you'll find in Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you remember on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit filled them. They were baptized in the Spirit, and they became men and women of power. How did they turn the world upside down? Without budget, and buses, and programs, and boards, and conventions, and all of the accoutrements that the church has today. Don't you find it interesting that they were accused of turning the world upside down, and they had nothing but the preaching of the gospel and the fire of God in their spirit? And they took that gospel and they began to preach it throughout cultures and people groups. And they were effective, turning the world upside down. Here we are in the church today, and we have everything. We've got projection and sound systems and cool this and cafe and bookstore and all of these DVDs and CDs and all of this stuff. And it appears to me that we are less effective today than they were and they had nothing. How? Why? Because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why. And when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you know what you do? When you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart, you give God a blank check. What's that? My heart. And you say, God, here's my heart. And you can fill that out any way you want. God, wherever you tell me to go, I'll go there. God, what you tell me to say, I'll say it. Lord, what you want me to do, I'll do it. I give you my life. And when you give God your life like that, and he fills you with his Holy Spirit, and you say, God, I'm yours, whatever you want to do with my life. Guess what? You'll turn the world upside down too. You'll be blessed. If you believe in Jesus and you allow God to work in your life, you will never be put to shame. Say amen, saints. You'll be blessed. They were empowered by the Spirit. And this is what caused the world to be changed. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask you to listen to me real close. I'm going to close with this. I was hoping to get a whole lot further, but... Oh, well. Lord is good anyhow. Amen. Listen close. J.B. Phillips writes in the preface of To the Young Church in Action that one cannot spend several months in close study of this book without being profoundly stirred and, to be honest, disturbed. The reader is stirred, he says, because he is seeing Christianity, the real thing, in addition, in action for the first time in human history. Here we are seeing the church in its first youth, vigilant, unspoiled, a body of ordinary men and women joined in unconquerable fellowship never before seen on earth. But the reader is also disturbed, for surely, he adds, this is the church as it was meant to be. It was vigorous and flexible. For these are the days before it ever became fat and short of breath through prosperity and muscle bound by over-organization. These men did not make acts of faith, they believed. They did not say their prayers, they prayed. They did not hold conferences on psychosomatic medicine, they simply healed the sick. By modern standards, they may have been naive, but perhaps because of their very simplicity, Perhaps because of their readiness simply to believe, to obey, to give, to suffer, and even if necessary, to die. The Spirit of God found that he could work in them and through them. And so they turned the world upside down. We, as a church, as a people, can make an impact. But we can't do it with programs. We can't do it trying to do it ourselves. We can't talk about prayer. We have to pray. Say amen, saints. We can't talk about prayer. We have to pray. And we have to ask God to do for us what he did for them, of which he's willing to do. And that is to fill you with his spirit. And empower your life. And you notice that as God... Filled these men and women in the early church with the Spirit, you notice that, that they, they were very, very different. They were very different. Peter be you know, Peter was something else. Peter would, you know, deny the Lord. Peter was weak and impotent. Afraid of a little girl. Cursed out a little girl. Don't ask me why I always think of that when I think of Peter. <laughs> I have no idea. But when the Spirit of God came on him and came and filled him, he became a mighty, empowered, potent man of God. Amen. And that's what God's Spirit does yeah. He changes people. And He takes the weak and He makes them strong. Amen. That's our God. Yeah. Amen. An intelligent, wise God. Not weak. And impotent, but intelligent, wanting and waiting to empower his people and to bless your life. And grace upon grace upon grace he wants to give to all those who would call upon his name.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Carey